Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Elodie Levasseur. Uh, Elodie was a client of mine many, many moons ago, although she hasn't aged, I clearly have. She's a neuro coach, she's a well-being coach. She is going to talk to us today about how you can take the first step to make the decision and then take that first step to change your life in a meaningful way. This is a subject very close to my heart. We're going to explore blind spot areas like worthiness and self-worth, the willingness to dare to dream bigger, uh, our fears and self-limiting constraints and beliefs, our critical mind, our critical parent ego state. We're going to dig into why is it so few of us really bother to ask ourselves what we really want? I had to confront that this week, and it came as a, re a, a revelation that I hadn't really paid that much attention to that. There were other things that I thought were more important, but I realized why there's a hole. And are your beliefs and your goals borrowed? Are they inherited? Are they imposed? Or are they your own? And we're going to focus on maybe reflecting and thinking rather than taking action, because sometimes we just diving in there head first means that we end up in a worse state and we start taking unhealthy risks. So we're going to look at the differences between healthy and unhealthy risks. And we'd really want you guys to contribute as well. So if you have some war stories, some experiences, then please comment, like, share, but get involved. Elodie and I both want uh, interaction with you. So feel free to get in touch. We'll give us our emails at the end. So without any further ado, Elodie, welcome. Thank you, Marcus. Uh, thank you for having me. Excellent. It's a delight to have you as a guest. First of all, what have you been up to in the last 20 years? <laughs> Just 20. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm curious, your, your career to get you to this point, that's what I'm really interested in. Yeah, and you've known me. I was like, I was a young woman, you know? I mean, yeah, I'm still a young woman. But... You are. It's depressing because I'm an old man. <laughs> I had a few pivots, especially in industry-wise. Uh, so I used to be an ex-marketing strategist, working for various different international companies, up to a leadership level, up to last year, actually, a year and a half ago. And at the age of 39, I felt like I needed to revisit what I really cared about and how I wanted to show up in the world, what was really meaningful to me. Um, because what I was doing was was fun, but I felt like I could do much more and I could help people in different ways. So I went into a big understanding of really who I was, um, acknowledging what was close to my heart. And then I retrained in neuroscience. I wanted to understand how the brain works. So neuroscience coaching was something that I was pulled toward. And also that was great because it gave me a good structure and a good framework to start coaching people, but I felt very masculine, very structured, which is good, but I wanted to also go into more feminine way of seeing life. So I train in different modalities such as meditation, mindfulness, and even tantra. So all resonating with what it means to be a woman in today's world and how to basically bring more pleasure and connect to your body in your day-to-day -day life. Okay. So that's really interesting because one of the challenges I see so many of us have, me included, is actually being present. So 
How does that training help you teach your clients or help your clients to learn uh, how to be fully present and their attention in the moment? Mm, such a good question. Well, the thing is that we are we're in a world where we are rewarded for the actions and the achievements that we take. And it keeps going. Basically, you finish one goal, you want to go on the next. There is no time for reflection. We don't stop and analyze what just happened and what did we like about it, what we didn't like about it. And so we keep going with no stop in the road. So we're just like on this like fast bike and there is no stopping point. But at some point you're thirsty and you want water. Yeah, <laughs> so you need to stop, right? So you need to stop, you need to drink water. And there is a quote about like if you having experience and experiences after experiences, there is no meaning behind it if you can't stop and look at what just happened. So the fact that you can actually, and actually, you know, one of the biggest challenge for my client is time. No, no one has enough time to do everything that they want to do. So time is a big issue. But how can you build on time? You know, how can you actually make time work for you rather than the opposite? And so this is what I teach my client, to come back into the present moment, to look at what is happening now. Like, where are you right now? How are you feeling? What are you touching? And breathing, remembering that you have a breath to, you know, breathing so that you're, you're back into that present moment to feel. How do you feel? It's largely unfashionable in business circumstance, uh, more traditional business circles, and all of this well-being lark is all a bit woo-woo. And uh, in the green room, you talked about you know reaching the right vibration and so on. In language that old fuddy-duddy dinosaurs like me can understand, translate that in, in terms of what that means in practice. Because I think it's more often than not there are generational gaps in language, and we we want the same thing, but we don't necessarily define it in such a way. And so you end up with misunderstandings because there are expectations instead of agreements. Yeah. And, you know, in neuroscience, we learned that two brains are different, right? Obviously, you have your own experiences, your own upbringing. So whatever words I'm going to say is going to resonate very differently with you. Like you said, difference in languages, difference in times. When I'm talking about like raising your vibration, when I'm talking about all those things will have a different impact. In the end, what I'm saying is, is basically it's creating this meaningful connection with yourself and with any project that you're doing, whether it's work, whether it's your career, whether it's about being more productive. So how can you create those meaningful connections with yourself so that you can achieve all that? Right. Okay. So translating that into my world, this is really about creating meaning, engagement, connection. Uh, it's about creating, identifying the, uh, the connection between your business goals and your life goals and finding that balance so that you're not having to compromise who you are or do things that are counter to your values while still getting your needs met. That's right. Yeah, that's beautifully said. Yeah. And the value okay. is a big one in it. Like identifying values is key. Most people don't do that. Right. Okay. So that there is a thesis from neuroscience, which is that if your fundamental human needs are not being met, 
at least two of two of or more of them are not being met, then there's a very high probability that someone will compromise or break their values in order to get them met. So many of the people listening are probably working in environments where they are being asked to do things that they know may not be in the customer's best interest. And they're actually in their own medium to long-term bad interests or worst interests rather than best interests. Uh, because if they agree to do these things, like bringing an entire deal forward and then uh, trying to buy the business at a 30, 40, 80% discount, they've eaten a massive hole in their future pipeline. But in order to replace it, they create a tariff of additional workload And that's just to stand still. So uh, I think there are a lot of people out there who are being asked to do things that are stretching their values because they they feel the need to survive. And they're afraid that if they don't comply, then they may be out on their ear because there are 200,000 job losses in tech in the last couple of months alone. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. It is it is scary. It is scary to stick to your values, to stick to what you believe, to create that meaningful connection for you to succeed. It is scary and it's not easy. You know, we were born for a reason. Like, you know, we have that life. We we came into whatever is happening in your life is what you're supposed to receive. So, for example, all my years in corporate were amazing because even though sometimes it was really difficult and I was doing some things that probably were stretching my values, but actually, did I know them really? Did I borrow those values for someone else? I changed along the way. So I had to adapt myself to the situations. And that didn't mean that later down the track, I wouldn't find my path again, right? So I think also it's a perspective shift. So in terms of what your, how can you make things that is not working? How can you make it for you? Also, everything is transient, right? Nothing lasts. Everything passes. So even if you are in a challenging situation and it's actually not like looking bright and sunny out there right now, everything moves. Everything is transient. So it's moving with that wave. This too will pass. Exactly. Yeah. So... There is this British, you know, quote, like, you know, keep calm and carry on, right? (laughs) Why not? (laughs) You know, because actually it will pass. How can you leverage on your your strengths, you know, your mindset, especially, especially when things are not going your way? So your mindset has a lot to do with what you're thinking. What are you feeding yourself with? If If you are just listening to the news, if you're just listening to you're watching crap TV or whatever that is, then obviously you're going to be fed this and it's going to compound on the negative. To be able to compound on the positive, you need to bring this to yourself. So compound on the positive. Listen to this inspiring podcast. Listen to read these inspiring books. You know, like what is it that you can, how can you raise your vibration in those difficult moments? Because that's how you rise. Okay, so this again is interesting. So to translate for old fuddy-duddies, one of the things that I've learned, especially over the past few years, is that the best lessons come from uh, finding people who disagree with you, from going looking for the bad news. And Elodie's point is that it is transient. It's going to pass. It's rarely fatal. 
And the challenge, I believe, is actually the six inches between your ears. And it's that inner dialogue that you allow yourself to be subjected to. Because I think one of the ways that you would raise the vibrational state, for example, is to change the tone, to change the pronouns. So, for example, instead of you're an ass, okay, Marcus, come on, you can do better um, and use your own name. And I found that's very powerful and a very simple thing to do. And I'm curious, are, are there any other simple ways that one can just tap into the neuroscience, you know, the, the, the structure of the way the brain works to get out of those funks, those psychological holes? It really interesting when you were saying about, Marcus, you can do better. And that's also, if that works for you, that's great. I know that it's, it's acknowledging also what already worked, so, meaning that you can do better, but acknowledge yourself for what you've already done. Because that's also, so the, the, your ability to succeed will depend on positive state that you can bring. That means that the connotation on you can do better means that you didn't do a good job. So, you know, like stepping back from that and looking actually at what are you proud of during that, whatever you've achieved, you know, even if you could have done better, what worked? What, what are you proud of? What was that achievement that you did well? So you're staying into that positive state to be like, wow, okay, no, I acknowledge myself for the process that I took that actually worked. And then you can actually com like compound again, but like build up from that. And from, yeah, from a neuroscience perspective, we learned that there is like, um, well, I give a workshop on that, on those like seven attributes where you can have a, it's called a healthy mind platter. And it's basically like understanding, again, it's about feeding your brain with what will help you to survive in different situations. And it's a bit like, you know, we're going to the gym, we're eating his healthy food, you know, all of those are good for our body, right? And then there is like different way. So sleep is one of them. So making sure you get enough sleep, you know, like um, one of them that you mentioned that brought up um, was basically the art of stepping back, but doing nothing. Meaning like, just look at the window and do nothing for like 10 minutes. Can you so hold that? Hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we're, we're conditioned to just do, 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 take action, action, action after action. Actually, we were just like machines. And so, yeah, we were born to think, clearly, because we have a brain compared to different animals, right? But also, we need to give ourselves that break because actually the best ideas are coming when you're in the shower, when you stop thinking. They're coming when you actually just wander your mind, when you're making your bed, you know, when you're doing some things that are completely irrelevant. So you give yourself a break to think. Okay, for the more rational thinkers, can you explain why that is the case and why the brain responds well to that? Um, yeah, the brain, because, because we're always on, we have this button that's switched on. So if you have a complex issue that you need to solve, you work on it. So first you ask all the questions, look into everything that how you can fix it, what, what could you do, you know, so you're making a plan for it. Then the idea is to step back and to stop thinking about this issue. 
or, or the problem itself and to, to go and do something completely differently. So, you know, when you, when you have an issue and you just like focus on it so much that you're trying to fix it, yeah. but nothing is clearly coming through or you have so many that you don't know which one to take. So the best way is to step back from it. It's actually, okay, you, you know, this is a solution that you found. You're stepping back from it, go for a walk, do something completely the opposite of it. Like, don't think about it. Try to find a way. So have a break and then come back to it. And the chances is that you would already have found the solution. You'd know which one to take. So you already know which one to take. It's just a matter of stepping back from it to choose the right solution for you that's aligned with you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I mean, the, the rule is very clear. If you want better answers, ask better questions. And given that your unconscious mind has basically millions of times the horsepower of your conscious mind, you may as well hack into it and uh, take the lazy option. One of my favorite things is writing good questions down and reading those questions out just before I go to bed and letting my uh, brain sort it through. And it doesn't always work, but if you get into the habit of doing it, then very often, first thing in the morning, you get a really damn good idea or sometime in the middle of the night, which will bugger up your sleep pattern. So Elodie will tell me off for that. But keep a notepad. Don't put your pen, uh, your phone on uh, unless you've got yellow glasses to cut out the blue light, because otherwise it will trick your brain into thinking morning's arrived uh, and you won't go back to sleep again. Yeah. So, And it's, it's interesting what you say, because also when you're when you are working with a complex issue or a complex task, the focus, the attention time, the sustained attention that you are having on one single task. So that's also really interesting to watch because that's also really good for, you, for, for our brain to actually be in flow state, what we call flow state, where we feel like we're completely absorbed by this task and we don't see the time passing at all. So it could, it could be anything, but it's really hard to achieve when we have so many distractions around us, right? So when we're trying to fix an issue or problem, then, you know, you, you probably have your phone ringing, uh, you know, your children coming to ask you questions if you're working from home or your boss asking you to do another thing. So it's trying to, to try to, like, get to that point where you can bring those stimulation in your brain so you can be in that optimal arousal where you're not too bored, you're not too stressed, so you find that middle board where you can actually focus easier on the task at hand. And so the easiest way for you to, to, to focus, to, for your brain to, to keep focus is to is breathing techniques before you're starting a, a task. Like if you're breathing into your body in and out with the out breaths longer than your inhale, then you're, you're regulating some of the hormonal state in your body. So it's, it's also so a balance. Hormones, uh, does uh, the uh, longer out breath generate? It's like it's, it's just generating ca a calm state that your, your body just feel like, because those stressors are transient, so those stress that are coming into your life, so you're breathing. Like cortisol, adrenaline. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's, so breathing out longer than you're breathing, but taking the time. It doesn't need to be very long. It could be like really, really simple, right? Uh, just like one, two, three, four, and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And you do this for like, you know, five times. And then you're back into a focused state. You can actually like keep the 
this level of arousal into your into your brain. Very interesting. Okay, because again, your your physiology determines your feelings and your mood. And so if you're aware of and you drill these habits so that you, you're practiced, then presumably there's nothing stopping you doing this at will and staying calm, which uh, in these times I think is really key. The people who stay calm during crisis are the ones who normally come out of it alive and in good shape. Yeah, there is a, a a book I was reading, and she she I can't remember the, the name of the, of the book, but and she was saying, you know, like there is a quick technique where you just when you feel the stress or the emotion, this anger or frustration coming up, it's all about choosing. So when you are breathing, you're like pause, and then you can choose when you excel. You know, you're like making a conscious stop basically to be able to like calm your nervous system down with a high nervous system like you can't think properly like you're in survival mode and all brains are you know they're they're defined to go straight into a straight mode so we always think on the negative this is how we've been conditioned from you know the cavemen (laughs) we're supposed to be like oh my god there is like you know we're going to be killed so we need to have a look so it's like coming back to ourselves and be like, okay, I'm safe. I am safe. Even putting your arms around your shoulder and going like from up to your shoulder down to your arm is calming the nervous system down. And it's very simple. It seems that one thing we need to be very conscious of is just how programmed we are as a species. And I'm going to deviate from the plan now. Uh, so uh, tell me to go and boil my head if uh, this isn't a great place mm-hmm. to go. But I have a thesis that free will's a myth and it only exists in the gaps in your perception when you realize you have none and then you can make a choice. Now, I think most of what we do seems to be mostly automatic. Otherwise, we'd never get anything done. I'm really curious to try and understand how much is us and how much is just automatic. Mm. Separation of identity and role, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I guess, you know, you've, you will you, you know when you're an automatic pilot. and Well, you don't know until you become aware of it. So if you are making a conscious decision to become aware of your action and asking yourself this question, is this, you know, is this me or is this my autopilot mode? In NLP, they often say that, you know, the, the trick is being able to get people out of trance because most of the time they're in it. Is that pretty much what we're saying here? Yeah, pretty much. I think so. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Last time I was talking to people because when you look at, I'll go even deeper in terms of like school system, right? Who decide on what you're going to study at school? You know, who said that there is one size fits all for what you're going to study when you are, when you don't choose, you know, at the beginning and then we're telling you, you've got to choose one subject and this is your life. This is what you're going to be doing all your life. And this is not true. Like you have that choice to, you you have to go and study because that's the system that tells you to go and do, do that. Otherwise you're not going to be successful. So again, fear is already there already from the beginning. What if you deviate? What if your dream or your soul is calling to a different purpose and you are going to, I don't know, do some 
sales or marketing or painting or, you know, become a magician. Who knows, <laughs> right? You just got to try it out until you really All of the above. Yeah, all of the above. Exactly. There are so, so many similarities in everything that we do. So I think questioning, like, you know, science is there to be questioned as well. The truth in itself, one of my Tantra teacher used to say that the truth is peaceful. So when you know that it's true for you, then you should feel peace. You should feel at peace with your decision, with whatever you're making. I mean, it's not coming from an ego side. Uh, right. Okay. Because uh, earlier on, it reminded me very much of the juxtaposition between the drama triangle and the winner's triangle. So in the drama's triangle, you have the victim, the persecutor, and the rescuer. In the winner's triangle, you're vulnerable, you're nurturing and empathic, and you're assertive. And in the drama triangle, you're attached and you're worrying about the past or you're fretting about the future. Whereas with the winner's triangle, you're fully present. Um, you're in the moment, that your attention is where it should be. And the challenge I think that a lot of people have is because of the noise and the catastrophizing, the default setting when things are ambiguous is to catastrophize and think of the worst case scenario. And then that's really not a good place for your body to be, let alone your brain, because it shuts down good decision making. You get tongue tied and you probably take risks that you shouldn't. How do we prevent ourselves from falling into the shutdown trap and then making unhealthy decisions, taking unhealthy risks? Great point. You know, when you were saying about taking this critical mind that comes and say, hey, you know what's going to happen, you're going to fail, and this is going to be the worst case scenario, and we go there. And we like to do that. We love it. And it's great. Like, go there. I actually go deeper. Once you're at the bottom, what else is worse? Where are you going to go? Once you, you know, what is your biggest fear? So actually, so many people, you know, are scared to, and I, you know, I, 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 I was like this. So before going to, and that's, that's a bit personal, but uh, I guess I'll share. Um, before doing therapy, I was doing it for my mom and I was a little scared to, to go. I wanted to heal the relationship with my mom and my mom has been really depressed all her life. And uh, for me to go to therapy raised up a lot of things. And I felt like, oh my God, I'm becoming depressed. Like, but actually, and I was scared to go there. So every time I started to feel those signs of depression, I could imagine the worst case scenario. Like, my God, I'm going to be stuck here. I'm not going to be able to go back up. Like, this is it. This is the end, basically. This is a spiral where I go down, down, down. And actually, I went there with my therapist and... It was hard. It wasn't easy. But I didn't stay there. I just needed to see what was there to understand how to go back up. And so we're always scared of the worst case scenario. And I think it's good to see what's there and actually going even deeper. Like, what is the worst thing that can happen? Okay, and once that worst thing happened, what else will happen? And actually, those things are not true. Most of the time, like 99% of the time, it won't happen. So we scare ourselves to not do the things that are outside of our comfort zone because we are happy and some people are just happy and well where they are. 
and they don't feel like taking some taking some healthy risk, I guess, to to actually step into their brilliance or making that change for them to have that meaningful life. And so does that does that resonate with you, what I'm sharing, Marcus? <laughs> it does. I, I am yeah. very curious though. If we're going to have to hit rock bottom uh, to be able to uh, make it back up again, that strikes me as a reason that people will give not to start because that's a scary place. You don't have to hit rock bottom all the time to be successful, right? This is, that's what I say. Like, like the worst case scenario doesn't necessarily happen. Sometimes you do, but again, it goes back to everything is transient. It's moving. It's a moving piece. It's part of the puzzle. This is, there is some learnings and it's not a failure in itself because failure, I mean, I'm not, I don't use that word. I, I feel like there is challenges, there is learning, there is experiences, but there is no such thing as failures. You learn. So you, you take what you need and you move on. You take what you've learned and you move on and you share with other people. Interesting. So Mark Goldston taught me a very useful uh, maxim, which is let go or be dragged. That reminds you uh, that the Buddha was right as well, uh, which is attachment is the root to all misery. And I think our attachment to stuff that doesn't really matter always leaves that tension. But the stuff that really does matter, it can be incredibly motivating, but also incredibly debilitating because, you know, you'd have that incredible visceral attachment. And it takes incredible courage to be vulnerable. So one thing that struck me as we were talking right at the beginning is how do we create an enhanced vibrational state? And I'm thinking more in terms of working with others. Having diversity of thought, I think many eyes and many minds on a problem tends to create far more elegant solutions. But it does require creating an environment where people feel safe being vulnerable. So I'd be very curious to learn, first of all, how brains working in concert deal with problems differently to ones that are trying to handle it alone. That's an interesting angle. Yeah, there's so much to unpack here. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I'll up to 10 minutes now. <laughs> you said like... Wow. <laughs> to go back to the attachment, to the first thing that you were saying, it was, it's really interesting because we do we get attached to a lot of things. And, you know, whether it's things or a goal, you know, the success of that project. What I've noticed with me, I was, I was, I was getting very frustrated, actually. Um, there is a lot of frustration that comes up with attachment because there are expectations. And... One of my teachers, she, she was really good because she said, actually, how can you take pleasure in the longing? It's all going back to like the journey. How can you enjoy the journey and not looking at the result? The result is important, the direction. And I teach a lot about goal settings, you know, and, and it's all about the journey in the end. How can you make the journey enjoyable? And how can you take that enjoyment into the longing? To go back to your the, the 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 vulnerability to be able to express that vulnerability, especially in, in corporate where 
we ask you to be in a certain way um, and to not to show emotions or depending on where you work. Um, and also in terms of, of, of leaders that can create the psychological safety for others to, to be vulnerable, to have that space to open up about how they're really feeling about the project that would create much more confidence in them to voice what they are thinking, what, and actually would create diversity, you know, in terms of uh, bringing diverse solution to problems or issues or challenges. But how you can do that? Well, it's, I guess, you know, nothing is, it's practice. Like you could, there is not like one quick fix solution on everything like it's learning like how do you teach people to create psychological safety for others so that they are they feel safe to speak i guess it, it comes down with like key listening skills deep listening that's really important to really be here in the moment present with the person you're talking with and to really understand them and to make sure understand is asking questions like, did I get this right? You know, is this what you're, you know, because that's, that has a really good impact on the others if they feel that they are understood and they are listened to. So the power in being seen, that will create that psychological safety. Mark Goulston talks about a basic human driver is to be heard, to feel felt and to be understood. And if that need is not being met, then people will typically play up. So, uh, you know, this is where your rebellious child kicks in and uh, you find yourself pushing back against something because it just doesn't feel right. And I I think uh, in business, we uh, forget too often the human being. Um, And there's uh, so much emphasis on the data, the evidence, the results. But there's a lot that goes into delivering those results. and Normally, it's around people. Unless you've got a robotized process, human beings are going to sully the uh, the pot a little bit by you know, having emotions and desires and ambitions and quirks and foibles and uh, all that. So if you're somebody trying to navigate the modern workplace, you've got all these different pressures from above, from shareholders, from management, uh, from your customers, from your peers. And it's a deeply, deeply stressful place if you respond poorly to that melting pot of stimuli. So how can one identify what one really wants? What what are the questions that you need to be asking yourself? Are there processes that can help you to open your mind to what might be possible? Because I think there's so much of what we really want may be hidden behind a veil of what we just, we're ignorant about, what, what might even be possible. It might be on, around the corner. Yeah. We miss it. Yeah, well, you know, and it's interesting, this question, I was asked this question last week at a speaking event and uh, like, what is the question you ask yourself to know what you really want? And the thing that I said is about, do you know what your values are? Do you know what you care about? And stick to five, no more, Right. And making decisions based on your value every day, whether it's your work, whether it's your personal life, then that will help you to understand what you want. What is it that you like? What is it that you don't like? And 
It's interesting because there is two things. It's about understanding your own strengths and leveraging them. That's definitely what are you good at? Because again, that's also going to give you some cues about what you are good at and what, what you, you can do. Leveraging them, but also what do they bring you joy? And that's super important when you, when you work full-time, like asking this question. When I was with my team, um, it was about helping them to go bigger than just where you are now. Okay, you're in this role, you're in this company. What is it that you want to do? Like after that, we're talking about young people, right? 24, you're 24, yeah. 25 years old. And sometimes they're like, oh, but, um, and they're, they were scared because they're like, oh, but you're asking me, like, what do I want to do? Like in 10 years from now? Or, <laughs> oh, of course I want to be here in this company. And, you know, and I'm like, no, but what if, like. What you do you are, really want to do? Yeah. Like in, in a world of infinite possibilities and you don't play in the final game and you just, it's infinite. What could you do? And sometimes it's hard to answer until you get to know yourself. But that's a question that push people to understand who they are. And then there is a journey to take. So take that first step to understand who you are. How do you do that? Understand your strengths, understand your values, what brings you joy, what brings you frustrations. You know, we're all human, we're complex. So the more you understand yourself, the better you can respond to situations, the better you can walk that parts in your life. I love it. It's fascinating. Um, yeah, I think I think that's that's probably. I see if something else is coming up, but I think for now that's probably what I wanted to share. Uh, and another episode that uh, is coming out will probably have come out already by the time this comes out was with uh, Palomine Antonio Garrido, and he's a huge proponent of journaling. For me, I've I've always found journaling quite hard to get into the discipline. And instead I ended up blogging because I got the message down in writing and at least other people uh, could benefit from it if they thought uh, it had any merit. I find writing stuff down. I find um, planning using mind maps, those kind of behaviors are very helpful. Um, But the thing I find the greatest value is the intersectional moments with other people get half a dozen to a dozen minds on a problem. Uh, All of you focus on that issue and everyone has a voice. I'm curious, anything else that you could suggest to build on those? You know, like you said about the journaling is great. I journal. Not every day. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, but I don't push myself to to that. I just feel like when is the right time for me to journal. Um, The journaling is really important if you can read back your notes, if you're just journaling for the sake of journaling, then no, it's not going to have an impact. If you are reading back your notes, then yeah, <laughs> you can see and you can make the connection. There are words that you keep saying or you keep writing and they keep coming back. There are things that you are grateful for that keeps coming back. So write, even if you're not journaling about your day, you don't know what to write, just write what you're grateful for. That's a really good step to start. And then you will see that there is is some connection with the things that you enjoy doing, the things that you're grateful for, the things that you value. It goes back again to your value. Gratitude is a big one. There is a book um, or this exercise. The book is called The Artist Way and it's called The Morning Pages. So um, the, the, the author suggests that every morning when you wake up, you write three pages with not lifting your pen. Whatever it is, those pages are for you and no one is going to read them. It's just you. 
So write whatever, you know, is coming up. And that's really beautiful. I did this for like um, two months. And that was really empowering as well because reading them back, I was like, wow, at the beginning I wrote, it was not very interesting, but then it got deeper and deeper. And it helps you to think as well and to, to see things in different perspective. It's easier to see your life back when you're looking at how you felt in this point in time and where you are now to see what you can do next to to jump into those bridges, basically, to help you to take those steps for a meaningful life. Yeah. And a very good tip, if you ever suffer from writer's block, ask a question. When yeah. you ask a question, your brain yeah. naturally goes off to find an answer. And if you answer the question to a timer of, say, three minutes or five minutes, where you're not allowed to take your pen off the paper and you're not allowed to correct and go back and edit, uh, you just have to write a stream of consciousness answering that question. I've been doing that for about 14 years and I've never once suffered from writer's block. Yeah. Yeah. That's really so good. That's really good. Useful. Yeah. And it's um, the same if you want to start writing your book, you know, and you don't know, you know, there'll be a topic. Something comes up, something always comes up. Just trust. It's about trusting, trusting yourself. If you want to write a book, Write the conclusion first. So write the question, what are you going to conclude in your book? And then work backwards from there, because then you've got a direct line to the, uh, the outcome. And another good tip I learned is write the book first and then go off and do your research. More often than not, if it's technical, go to the kids section, because then they, it's explained simply. Because if you can't explain a, your idea simply, then you probably don't understand it. And Again, get into the discipline of writing. I mean, I, I find writing very cathartic and helps me drive many ideas into or form a better basis of many ideas. So we've come close to time now. So I'm really, I, I don't want to waste the last question. Tell me this, you look back over your time in corporate, what lesson do you wish your idiot 23-year-old self had learned back then that she could have applied throughout your corporate career that would have made, meant that you would have done less harm to others or breached your values less often mm. and still accomplished what you wanted? Mm. Yeah. I think, like, you know, I... What I would have said to my 23 years old is that I trust. It goes back to build up your self-belief, your self-confidence. Like it's all about like, you know, stop self-sabotaging yourself, trust yourself. It goes back to what we were talking about, the fear of the worst case scenario and probably like get to know yourself, like do what you love, what brings you joy. So get to know your values, get to know who you are. So I think like when you're 23 years old is a good, it's a good thing to, 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 to do. And, you know, I, I don't, I think I've, I wouldn't say much more than that because it's all about like, don't, don't worry as much as you did because, you know, like you will, things will come into place naturally. Your experience is, is key, is valuable. You have a voice and you, you can express it. 
And uh, yeah, and I think I remember I tried to do that with you, Marcus, as well, when you were doing those breakfast meetings. You know, I put myself outside my comfort zone going like you did? those meetings and be like, Elodie, present yourself in 90 seconds. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I have no idea. Who do I say, Marcus? <laughs> <laughs> I've become more nurturing in my old age. Not much, but a bit. Okay, so just fin- let's finish off then on being able to manage uh, risk appropriately. I think many people, when they're considering taking a risk, don't consider, can they live with the worst case scenario? They just allow themselves to catastrophize it. Because if you can't live with the worst case scenario, that would feel to me like an unhealthy risk. Are there any other good indicators that tell you that maybe you shouldn't be taking that particular decision about that particular risk? because it's inappropriate for, for you and where you are, contextually. Yeah, and I guess it's all about, like, you'll know, you'll feel it. You know, you know when something is right, and you know when something doesn't feel so right. Like, you trust your intuition. I know it's a very feminine energy <laughs> and that needs to be developed in, in a lot of people, but trusting your intuition is, is actually part of it. Yeah, there is numbers, there is like you can do a plan and understand and, and put the plus and the cons on the table. You can do that as well, like to, to feel better. But at the end of the day is what does your heart want? What do you, what, do you think that risk is worth taking? You know, in 10 years from now, would you regret not having taken it? Interesting. Because I, I see so many people in sales and management suffering quite stressful career choices and one after the other after the other and net result is that they're suffering from unhealthy levels of stress that may be at least health damaging if not life-threatening and damage relationships too so what one final bit of advice would you give them if they're starting to feel like that well, it's, it's close to burnout, right? And well, I guess, you know, in my case, that's what happened. I did burnouts at some point in my career because I was underlined what I wanted to do. It didn't bring me as much joy. I didn't feel connected to what I wanted to do. So what helped me, because there is not, again, it's like there is no one advice or one particular tool that will help people it's about trying what works for you and how you can get out of it so one of them that really worked for me was actually stopping to give myself 100% to the things that didn't bring me joy and prioritizing what brought me joy and that so one of them was I couldn't make the decision to go home for Christmas in my family in France. And it's really hectic. It's, it's, it's a lot. And at that time, I was moving house. I was breaking up from a relationship. My work was so inspiring. And I was like, well, you know, I need, I need to make space. And for me, that's what was bringing me joy, was to just like stay on my own, actually. Just like have a break from everybody, go into my introvert mode, have bath, write, read, you know, take that holiday as a holiday and and just be with myself. And that really helped me. But it might not help other people, right? So so it's because you need to create space to see your state 
to see real, to get real with your feeling, to get real with how you are and to decide on the next best thing to do for you. So I help my clients to do that. Like we do, we do, we get real. We stop, we align and we see how we're going to move forward. I think you've really touched on something vital, which is that you need to learn to give yourself permission to feel worthy, to have that better future um, and to learn how to establish boundaries. This isn't for me. Enough is enough. Elodie, this has been really wonderful. Thank you. It's been lovely catching up. Thank you, Marcus. It's been really good as well. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Excellent. How, How can people get hold of you? So people can reach me. So my company is called the Shine Bright Academy. So I have a website, theshinebrightacademy.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn with my name, Elodie Levasseur, or on Instagram, Elodie Neurocoach. That's it. Excellent. Elodie, thank you so much. Thank you, Marcus. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Excellent. So Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you've enjoyed this, then please like, comment, share and subscribe. Now, if you're tired of feeling trapped in a sales career that forces you to sacrifice your integrity for the sake of meeting expectations and you want to reclaim control of your life, have deeper meaning and connection and uh, find more purpose in your work, uh, find, feel that the work that you're doing is important and protect your principles and values from the pressures and demands of your role, then drop me a line. There's a link in the blurb if uh, you'd like to meet up. And also Elodie plays in this space as well. Uh, She's much nicer than I am. Give her a call. Uh, In the meantime, stay safe and uh, happy sewing. Bye-bye.